your word, send your spirit into this room, into our hearts, into our minds, and guide us into your wisdom. Guide our blind eyes, blinded by sin, to see what Pontius Pilate could not see, to see what many others, even at the time of Jesus, could not see, that Jesus is our king, and he is the Son of God incarnate to come as our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be in Matthew 21 this morning, so if you have a Bible, uh, your Bible app, or just want to follow along in the program or on the screen, that's fine too. Uh, before I read it, though, I, I, want, to, I want to ask you a question. Do you, do you ever find that your brain acts kind of interesting? I, I just want to confess to all of you, my brain acts, well, it, it's just interesting how it works at times. Now, some of that might be my advanced age, so I'll chalk some of it up to that. But this, some of it has been going on forever. So have you ever, like I do, walked into the kitchen looking for the salt and pepper shaker, gone to the shelf where the salt and pepper shaker reside, typically, and looked at that shelf, looked at the entire shelf, in fact, and been unable to find the salt and pepper shaker, and then shouted out throughout the entire house as I would typically do, "Hun, where's the salt and pepper? Only to have her come in and go, it's right there in front of you. Maybe one shelf down from the shelf that it normally resides on, but I was sure as could be, and this has happened more than once, that I had searched the whole shelf, and it was sitting there right in front of my eyes, and I couldn't see it. I'm sure that's not happened to any of you. I'm just revealing how my brain works at times. However, I would also say this. How many of you are familiar with the famous, famous YouTube video viewed millions of times titled The Invisible Gorilla? Anybody familiar with that? Anybody watch that? All right, well, unfortunately, I'm about to spoil it for you. But millions of people have watched this video. You come to the video and you, with, with a few instructions. The instructions are, it's a, it's a, a video of, a, of guys passing a basketball around. And you're told, count the number of times that the basketball is is, is passed. So keep up with this because the ball goes pretty fast at times, but tell me at the end of the video how many times the ball has been passed. So you're there in front of the video counting it, counting those passes, and a man in a gorilla suit walks right through the middle of the team passing and about 50% of the people who watch the video never see the gorilla at all. Isn't it interesting how the mind works? And what scientists have discovered is that preconceived notions that you have, that your working memory has limitations that if you're focused on something intently or if you think something should be different from what it is, you will 
in this case, not see the gorilla, the man in the gorilla suit. That's a little bit of what's happening in Jesus' last days. Here's Jesus the Messiah. And, and in fact, remember, Jesus up till this time has been telling people, shh, don't tell them that I just did this miracle and healed you. Don't let others know that you think I might be the Messiah. And we're all a little bewildered. Is, didn't he come so that the gospel message could get out? And isn't he the gospel in person? Of course he is. Why is Jesus saying, let's keep it quiet? Most people believe it was so that Jesus would have some elbow room to move and go from one village to another without without being detained by the huge crowds. Nevertheless, crowds of people did gather around Jesus. Then they all left at one point because he wasn't, do you remember why? He wasn't the kind of king that they were looking for. And so as that goes on now, you come to Palm Sunday, and this is really the first time that Jesus allows the kind of adoration and adulation that he receives, that he kind of just opens the floodgates and says, all right, if these people want to adore me, worship me, shout out and wave palm branches that I am the king, let it go this time. So let's read about that. This is uh, Matthew 21. Verses 1 to 11, as they approached Jerusalem, this is Jesus and his disciples, and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. See, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I'll just pause right there. Notice that the prophet is trying to warn people ahead of time. Here's what you are to look for, and it may not be what you think you're looking for, right? So there's that. There's that warning. The salt and pepper shaker may not be on the third shelf up. It may be on the second shelf up. So look there and look carefully before you call me. This is the prophet seeing something similar, right? This is what you are to look for. Your king comes to you gentle, not like a normal king, and riding on a donkey, not a war horse, and on a colt the full of a donkey. The disciples went... And did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Very large crowds spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So let's fill in our first fill-in. 
What makes Jesus a different kind of king? That's what we want to tackle today. Why would we say he's a different kind of king? I've already pointed out as I read today's text some of the things that make Jesus a, a different kind of king. He's, he's not the very big political king, the David or Solomon type king that the people of Israel were used to thinking about when they thought about the Messiah coming and restoring the kingdom. For them, they thought that meant a physical worldly kingdom, and that's why we read the trial of Pilate uh, and Jesus earlier, because Jesus there very clearly says, I'm a different kind of king. And first and foremost, because my kingdom is not of this world. So let's break this down and see some other things that make Jesus a different kind of king. Uh, verse 2 that I just read you, I want to reread to you, saying to them, go to the village. This is what he's saying to the two disciples he sent. Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Jesus, not only the king of heaven and earth, but the creator of heaven and earth, the redeemer of heaven and earth, of, and of all people in it, does not ask to be carried around in one of those big, armored, bulletproof chariots that they had in those days. He doesn't ask to be set on the, the tallest, strongest, mightiest horse that a king would lead people into battle in. He asks the disciples to find a donkey, a, a colt, actually. And, and what is behind that? Well, the people of Jesus' day would have known that that was a humble mode of transportation. That Jesus was actually symbolizing this fact that he came first and foremost to be king of kings. You remember how we normally finish this phrase? He is king of kings and lord of lords. But here Jesus, by choosing a cult, is saying, I'm coming as king of kings and servant of servants. As the one who has come to serve you, we'll look at a passage about that. And this makes Jesus so different. Let me, let me uh, bring up a quote from a gal, a Christian gal named Sally Clarkson. She says it so wonderfully. Instead, he called them to the excellence of holiness. He's, she's talking about Jesus. And yet lovingly served them in order to win their hearts and show them the means of reaching others' hearts as well. There's another slide that contains just the previous part. If you can find that, bring that up because there's an important set of words in there. Did it not get in there? Okay, so what she says, I'll just tell you. What sets Jesus apart, that, that's her phrase. What sets Jesus apart is that Jesus came to serve us, not merely to rule over us. And so it's very clear to see that when you look at Jesus' life, when you look at Jesus' ministry, 
He didn't come to boss us around or, or order us to do this and that so much as, how can I help you? What can I do to love you? How can I care for you? How can I grace and forgive you? That's Jesus' primary mission. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't have anything to teach us from his wisdom that might start with do's and don'ts. Look at the Sermon on the Mount that we studied recently. There are plenty of do's and don'ts in there where Jesus is trying to, to share his wisdom for life with us. And we would do well to listen to that. But ultimately what Jesus is saying is this. Put that next passage up. This is uh, Matthew. There it is. Just before Jesus is going into Jerusalem, we hear him say this. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Do you know what the context is for this? Do you remember? James and John's mom comes up to Jesus and says, basically, I'm paraphrasing, one day we're all going to be in heaven. And Jesus, I hope you've saved a couple of seats for my boys to your immediate right and your immediate left because I want them to be in great places of honor with you one day. And in some ways, that's kind of a noble request of their, of their mom, but this is Jesus' answer that we're reading. Whoever wants to become great among you, James and John's mom, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in many of these references, the word Jesus uses for servant literally means slave. To be a slave, meaning to work hard for another person and expect nothing in return. And that's what Jesus is saying now as I've come to serve. This is the, the reason I came. I'm inviting you to come and to serve. Take a look at uh, point number two, uh, the, the fill-in. Jesus is, he came to be king of kings and servant of servants. That's the whole baseline here. Our Lord, our King, is different because he is a servant king. We often talk about servant leadership in today's world. Jesus is the ultimate in servant leaders. And he's so ultimate in, in terms of being a servant leader, it makes him almost like that man in the gorilla suit walking through the the crowd of basketball players tossing the ball back and forth. We can look at him, we can look at his life, we can hear about all that he's done and still not get to the point where we recognize him as the king that he is. And that there's a danger in that, right? Because don't we all need to live for something bigger than ourselves? So often, particularly in our culture, 
we see people living for themselves. We see people making choices and decisions that are really meant to serve themselves. And when we get surrounded by that, it's easy to want to throw up our hands and say, why am I the only person in my life that is working so hard to care for others and to serve others? Just once in a while, I'd like to have that come to me. You, You can get that feeling. Now, it's not always an accurate feeling, is it? But, but you, you get this feeling as if you're alone in this big world of people who are serving self out there. And, and you begin, instead of seeing the nobility and the glory in serving others and the, the fun and adventure in putting others ahead of yourself, you begin to feel, ugh, I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I can keep serving, 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 serving all the time. And yet, here we see Jesus. And, and I will say this before I go on. Jesus is the Son of God. And even he needed to rest at times, didn't he? Didn't even he have to go aside and get some recovery time? And we all need that. And sometimes in today's world, we're, we're pushed in so many different directions, we forget that we're human. And as humans, we need recovery. But with that said, we also need to stay focused on why do we serve? And the answer is, the only answer is, because Jesus first served us. Why do we love? Because Jesus first loved us. Why do we sacrifice? Because Jesus first sacrificed himself entirely, all the way to the cross for us. And when we lose those dots getting connected. My service emerges from Jesus' loving service toward me. My sacrifices come from the fact that Jesus gave it all for me. My love is because he first loved me. When we lose that connection, then Jesus can become an almost unrecognizable king to us. And he becomes that guy that just kind of wags his finger in our face and says, I hope you feel guilty for what a poor excuse of a man or woman you are, what a poor excuse of a husband or wife you are, what a poor excuse of a parent you are. Jesus becomes the law king, the guilt king, not the grace king, not the king who came to serve us with that grace. Looking here, it's so clear. Look at verses 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you. And how is he described? Not the wagging finger king, not the beat you up king, but the, the gentle king riding on a humble donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knows how we can become great by simply listening and watching the things that he does as our king to become great. So will you write this in? Here's your fill-in. Jesus is a gentle and humble king. I was thinking about this. Did any of you play chess? 
ever. Chess is a great game. I, I love it because I love strategy. If you play chess, you might recognize those two pieces. The one on the left is called a pawn. The one on the right is called king. Do you, if you're playing chess, those of you who do play chess, treat those two chess pieces differently? Do you know? Yes, I see nodding heads, thank you. You treat them entirely differently. If someone takes one of your pawns, there might be, a, you know, the tiniest little, mm, didn't see that coming, but it doesn't feel like all that big of a loss. If someone takes your king, the, your opponent takes your king, then what? That's called checkmate, and the game is over, right? Even strategically, if you're on offense, how you move those pieces is different. The pawns can typically only move forward. The king can move in any direction. And there are other powerful pieces on the board, like real life, Probably the most effective and important offensive piece on the board is the queen. And, and, and those pieces you treat with great care because of their importance. You don't exchange them. So you look at that king, you know who is your king, and you treat it accordingly. This, this is what we're being taught on the original Palm Sunday. Jesus doesn't look like the piece on the right. He's a king. He is the king of all things. The savior king of all things. But what does he look like to most people? What does he look like on Holy Week? What does he look like when he's arrested? When he's tried? When he's crucified? You heard the tone of Pilate, didn't you? This is just some poor sod, some, some pawn of the Jewish nation that now they're foisting on me and I, I have to, to try him. Pontius Pilate and, and many others, all the crowd who are going to call for Jesus to be crucified, to all of them, Jesus is no more than a pawn to be used to their own advantage. Show the next picture, please. I, I love this photo. Because there's a light shining on a pond. And what most people see as a pond, if you look behind it, you see that pond is not really a pond at all. Because the shadow shows the truth of the matter. The shadow shows that what appears to be a pawn is really the king of kings. That's what's happening on Palm Sunday. And for just a moment, this crowd of people, the veil has been lifted a little bit, right? And it doesn't last long. It's like, pull back the curtain. This guy that you've maybe thought of as just a, a mere pawn, not a very important guy, a pretender, says he's a miracle worker, but hmm. You know how most miracle workers are. Says he's the savior, but we've seen these messiahs come and go before. But for a moment on Palm Sunday, 
the veil is lifted. And people bring their palm branches and their, their coats because they see in this moment for a little while who Jesus really is. Even though he is a gentle and humble person, he is king. And here's the final thing I want to talk about today. What makes Jesus the true, not just humble king, but king of glory? Because that's who he truly is. And, and we see the people, like I said, recognizing this for a moment. Verse 9 says this. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna means save us. Save us to the son of David. He's the savior too. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. These people are actually quoting Old Testament prophecy here. They're, they're seeing that what Zechariah said, what's said so clearly in Psalm 118, G Jesus is the, the fulfillment of all of this. And we, we see this on this very first Palm Sunday. And so what I want to do is I, I want to show you Psalm 118, written maybe around the time of David, a thousand years before Jesus was even born. And I, I want you to see what this prophet poet wrote. We don't know who it was exactly. This was a, a, a Hallel psalm, which means a psalm of praise. And it was often used on big festival days, like Passover, which is where we're at with Jesus too. Look at this. Open for me the gates of the righteous, I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. That's kind of a theme here. Let's go to the next one. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, Hosanna, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God. The Lord is king. And he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Isn't it shocking sometimes? Surprising in a very wonderful way that this thing that is happening on that first Palm Sunday in the life of Jesus at the end of his 33 years on earth was pictured so clearly and so specifically a thousand years earlier in what a prophet poet wrote? Sometimes people may wonder, well, is Jesus really who he claimed to be? Read enough of these psalms that were written long before Jesus even came around and watch what happens in Jesus' life, and oh my goodness, it becomes almost impossible to argue for any other thing than who Jesus claims to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. Psalm 118. You know, 
Luther, just kind of an interesting sidetrack, called Psalm 118, what we just read, his own dear psalm. And once Martin Luther said, I, I love all of the Word of God. I love every psalm. And then he concludes the quote by saying, but Psalm 118, oh my goodness, it's my own dear psalm. It's so special to me. And, and here we see why it would be so special. Here's what I want you to, to write in. Jesus, as the psalm said, is the stone the builders rejected who has become the cornerstone. And he alone saves. Here's the application. I, I have a slide in there by C.S. Lewis. Do you realize how often people are searching for happiness in this life? In, in our own American most special and treasured documents, we, we talk about the right to pursue our happiness as, as if that's just something so important, right? And most people do invest a solid life in finding happiness. Nothing wrong with that. But where alone, C.S. Lewis tells us, can we find true happiness? Look, look at what he says. And, and out of that hopeless attempt, what he means is to find happiness in many other things other than God. Out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Everything that we see even now, the wars, the violence, the, the drug addiction and drug abuse. He, he named some of his own, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Man, that's a description of the last decade. Maybe in particular the last three years. Maybe it's a description of your own heart. Trying to find something other than God that will make you happy. And C.S. Lewis says, and, and, and what Christ is saying with Palm Sunday to all of us is, here I am. Don't miss me. Don't, don't lose me because I'm not on the shelf that I thought you would be on. Don't fail to, to see me as your king because you're distracted by counting passes on the basketball court. What is it that distracts us from seeing Jesus as king? What are our expectations? Remember, the mind can be a funny thing that keep us from truly seeing Jesus as our king. Because when we see Jesus as our king, you know where that's going to lead? C.S. Lewis tells us. That happiness that we've been looking for, he's got it for you. Not that life won't have its challenges. Not that life will all of a sudden magically turn into a bed of roses. Not that your peace will always be at an all-time high from now on. But you can always, with Jesus, return to center when you're feeling shaky, when you're wondering, where is my life leading? Will I ever see happiness again? The answer to all of those is Jesus is your king. Return to him. Find him. 
and in him you will find what most people are seeking happiness. And that leads perfectly into what next? If Jesus is the true source of, the, of that great higher power and purpose, because he's the king, the creator of heaven and earth, if he is our true purpose and our true meaning in life, then shouldn't we introduce him to a few others? You notice your next step that I'm asking you for today? I will commit to returning to worship Jesus on Easter Sunday as my living king. And I, and I hope you will make that commitment. Because man, if you think Palm Sunday is wonderful as far as worshiping Jesus as king, you ain't seen nothing yet to celebrating Jesus as your living and risen and always there for you king. But here's the challenge. We shouldn't keep this message to ourselves. In just a moment, I'm going to talk to you about a thing called invest and invite. I'll explain it more thoroughly there. But I'm asking you to find a family member, a friend, a neighbor, and invest and invite them to come with you on Easter Sunday. You see these empty chairs? Wouldn't it be awesome if we could fill all of them up on Easter Sunday together as a team? in both services, all of us together worshiping Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the servant of servants, all of us worship, worshiping him together as the living king. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be gathered here to hear that you are our king. You are that big important thing that draws us in and, and becomes the purpose and the meaning of our in, entire life. You sent your son Jesus to be that purpose and that meaning, that king of kings for us. And in him, in him alone, Lord, we find happiness. We know this. Help us, Lord, to share this beautiful gospel message of a crucified and risen king who wants to help us not only in this life, but to reach the life that is beyond this life through his forgiveness and grace. Lord, it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. All right, let's take a moment and confess our Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.